Well, this morning, uh, last week, how many of you enjoyed Pastor Scott Williams? Uh, Pastor Scott's amazing. He loves you guys. He's going to be back. He's going to be back again. But, uh, you know, Pastor was 100 miles an hour. But today, I'm excited because today, uh, I have a new friend uh, that is dear to me. And he's a father in the Phoenix area. He's, he's like one of those apostolic father voices here in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, I recently got to meet Pastor Gary Kinnaman. And uh, we spent uh, two hours ago, a couple of months ago, just hanging out, talking story. Uh, he was here for Pastor Robin's church planning conference. We got to spend time together. And he began sharing with some of us a message that God gave him for churches, and he's been sharing this to churches, and I said, Pastor, that is such a great word. Would you come and preach next Sunday? And he looked at me like, are you serious? And I was like, I'd be so honored to have him. So would you stand to your feet really quick? Would you put your hands together? Come on. Let's welcome the legend, powerful man of God, Pastor Gary Kinnaman. Thank you, Pastor. Let me take this with you. Bye. By the way, look here. Stand, stand up here just a second. Just okay. The clothing thing. Yes. Uh huh. So we both were matchy, and uh, we both have. I, you know, I said, "What are you going to wear today?" He said, "Well, dark blue shirt with with uh, little polka dots." And I said, "I got one of those." Please be seated. Well, yeah, just to get to know me, I was a pastor of a, of a church in Mesa for 25 years, and I grew, up, I grew up here in Arizona. I'm from Ohio. People, oh, we have more people here than people from Word of Grace, huh? Anyway, I, I grew up in Ohio. I, I was born in Ohio, and uh, people say, well, what brought you to Arizona? I said, well, my mom and dad put me in the back seat, and I followed them to Arizona. So I came out here when I was in second grade, and I've been in ministry in the valley for, seems like forever. And um, my wife is with me here today, and you, she, she was at Denny's during the first service, but... <laughs> we have been married a mere 51 years. And we have never disagreed on anything. <laughs> and I'm just going to, I've said everything I need to say, so let's close in prayer. <laughs> All right, so I can't decide. I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really getting kind of old, and sometimes I just need to sit down, uh, and uh, we'll, I just get so excited about what I'm saying, <laughs> I have to sit down. Um, so uh, anyway, we have, uh, we have three kids, um, three grown children, and um, we have a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law and, and a da two daughters-in-law, and one of them is in heaven. Uh, the last few years, we've gone through some real family trauma. I've got three grandkids uh, who don't have a mom. And um, so anyway, we have nine grandkids, and they range in age from 23 to 10. So, yep. <laughs> uh, 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you for the people that are uh, participating in this community. And I thank you uh, for Charlton and his family. And I've gotten to know him just so recently. And I just, I'm delighted at his gifting and the way you're using him in this church. Really, not just to build a church, but to rebuild the church. And, and I pray for your, your grace for all of the people that are involved here. I pray, Lord, for your presence as I share your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So my wife and I, I can't remember. It was one time we had a problem. And uh, what? <laughs> anyway, I like to tell people I'm a man of God. Amen? You're not sure. <laughs> but my wife is a saint because she's had to live with this man of God for all these years. And she's, we've been together and through the thick and the thin. And we've seen our, our kids grow and our grandkids go, grow and go in different directions. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just a big challenge. But we, we had this, you know, we just, I would get into things. I think I got into things more than she got into things. And uh, so... We were, I, you know, this is, this is the way it is when you have a problem. To this, I've told this story a few times. I can, for the life of me, I cannot remember what the issue was. But it was a big enough issue for me to call my friend who is a counselor. And we're real close to him and his, and his wife. It was in the evening. And, and he just, well, why don't you come over? <laughs> you know, he's, he's been such a blessing in my life. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I would have made it through so many years of ministry without Al, with my friend Al. And so we went over to his house and he said, so what's up? His wife joined us. We sat in the front room and he said, so, so tell, tell us what's up. You know, of course, I had, I, had note, I had notes, I had bullet points, I'd fill in the blanks. And, uh, and Marilyn just sat there kind of quietly and, and smiled. And, and Al said to me, I, I need to just t talk to you for a minute outside. Let's step out in the front porch. <laughs> that's never, you know, that's a signal that it, things are not good for you. So, so he, he said to me, he, he put his, he kind of, he has, Al is a, he's got a prophetic anointing. The, you know, the way he speaks counsel into people's lives, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had to lean on him. And, and he just, he always, he does this too. He puts his hand, he puts his hand on my chest and I'm going, mm, and, uh, and then he says, he's like this, this flight, this close. And he says, brother, I just have one thing I need to tell you. You need to let this go. You know, just let it go. And I, I knew it was the right thing. But, you know, I, I just, it, it's so difficult for us. The, the more things you have to do, the more responsible you are, the more God has given you uh, large responsibilities, the more demanding you can be, you know? And what works, you know, what works in the pulpit does not work with your wife, okay? <laughs> is this your, is this your? Yes. Yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> You're going to take you know, a lot of notes for you today, okay? So, <laughs> so anyway, I just knew that I, I knew Al was right, you know, and so I let it go. And I can't remember what it was, and it was the problem was over, which you know, kind of you look back at your life and you think maybe I was the problem, you know. So letting go 
is a sacred art. And um, this is what I've actually come to call the sacred art of letting go. I'm, I'm hoping maybe uh, in the years that God's given me to write a book about this. I, and I believe it is the most important thing in life we can learn. Now, my wife and I, you know, we've been married for 50 years. We got kids, grandkids. We have siblings with kids. And the stuff that happens in families, I think the longer you live, the more you realize you have no control over your life. You think you do, but you don't. I mean, things happen. You know, we, we didn't just decide oh, what we wanted to do and how many kids we wanted to have and where we wanted to live. You just, you, maybe you wanted to do that. And, but there, life has so many twists and turns. And like I like to say, that you never know where the road of life is going to take you. So... Um, this, the, the older I get, the more I think this is important. People have asked me, what would you do different? Um, I was a pastor of that large church ministry for almost 50 years. What would you do different? I would, somehow, I would determine not to stress about things so much. Let it go and realize that God's doing it. Um, the, the worship leader today said, he said he was doing an inventory of his life. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. You, you know this. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of debate about predestination and providence. And, you know, and for the moment, I don't know where God is leading me. That's a walk of faith. But when you do an inventory of your life, you look back. And, you know, God, God is on his hand us in every moment of your life. So um, as much as anything, the cross is about letting go. How many of you are wearing a cross today? How many of you wear, you know, you're wearing a cross. And, you know, you wear that with, with joy and peace. And, but that's really about you dying. Jesus said, if uh, you follow me, you've got to take up your cross. And that means you die out to yourself, which Jesus did. So look at this verse. First of all, Jesus let go when he was born. Okay, just talking about the life of Jesus. He let go when he was born, when God became flesh. This is unimaginable. I mean, it's, it, people outside of Christianity, they kind of laugh at this idea. It's just, it's just beyond us. It's tra- God became flesh. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says this. <coughs> Your attitude. Okay, how many of you have had an attitude? You know where everybody has an attitude? On the freeway. I've decided there are no Christians on the freeway. Okay? How many of you follow Jesus? How many of you have had an attitude on the freeway? Yeah, okay, the laughter subsides a bit there. But, but Jesus, it says, your attitude, your mind, okay, the way you deal with life should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You know, this is a weird way to think, but I, if Jesus is driving on the freeway, I have a hunch he wouldn't have an attitude. He'd let the guy cut him off. Praise the Lord, Okay. So it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be what? So when you're grasping something, what's the opposite of grasping something? Letting go. Uh, I heard this, at, someone told me an old Chinese proverb says, we're born with our fists clenched and we're buried with our hands open." And it's just, you just want to hold on to stuff. And the way I put it is, you know, Jesus had every right to throw a fit. Think about that. He was God. Do you know who I am? I'm God. 
You know, some of you have had to tell your friends, you know who I am, I'm your boss, you know, whatever. Jesus, you know, he entered life. It says here, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He made himself nothing, made in, made in human likeness, and being found in appearance, <clears throat> excuse me, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to human death, the worst possible imaginable death. And what, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what he said, he said to his father, if, you, if please remove this, if it be thy will, please take this, take this thing away. Remove this cup from me. On the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He was living a life of letting go and leaning on his heavenly father. Okay? So, uh, Jesus let go when he died. What was the last thing he said? It is finished. He gave up the ghost. He let go. As he's crying out to the father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's just, he's giving in to the moment, trusting God. Now look at, uh, secondly, he, Jesus let go when he died. Okay, so he let go when he was born, he let go when he, was die, when he died. And if you're a follower of Jesus, listen to this. Uh, I love this, Peter, 1 Peter chapter two. This has been one of my favorite texts. It's not easy to read, it's not easy to do. You need God in you. G- he, Peter says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. Now he's talking to slaves. We're talking about a, cra- a crazy different culture he's writing into. And he says, if, if, you, if you get severely beaten for something that you do wrong, hey, you had it coming. He says, uh, and endure. He says, how is it to your credit? How, why is it, you know, we think if we admit our wrong and we're repentant, and you know, we think Jesus is really working in my life. This verse doesn't sell G- say Jesus is live, working in my life. P- Peter says, this is just basically what we should do as human beings. Why is this so hard? Okay. I, I, was, uh, I was going to a pastor's meeting way up on, in the North Valley, uh, Christ Church of the Valley. We had a bunch of uh, kind of high-profile pastors meeting together. And, and uh, I, missed my, I missed my exit. And I had a little sports car, I love sports cars. Um, and I said this to the earlier service, some of you know Robin, and Robin likes fast cars. And I rode with him once. And, and, after, and I, got a, I got a rider on my insurance policy to cover me when I ride with Robin Wood. And so, but I like a fast car. And, and, I, and I just, I got off the freeway and, I, and I'm going off the off ramp and I'm looking. And you know, it, it's, you know, it's a red light, but I, I was in a hurry, and I'm important. And so, um, and so I, I, I make the turn, and no sooner did I make the turn, probably about like 25 miles an hour, and I see, what, what do you think I see in, in my rearview mirror? And I pulled over, and uh, you know, what, what, what is a common question the police officer asks you? Do you, do you know why I pulled you over? And, you know, being the man of God and, and follower of Jesus and humble and, uh, you know, understanding that every moment is in God's hands, I said, no. <laughs> what 
makes it so hard to let go. And that's when I had it coming. You know, I should have, uh, you know, I, I made that turn too quickly and uh, write me a ticket and I thank you, sir, for your service to our community. When does that happen? You know, so, not in my car. You know, so, so, um, so Jesus, of Jesus, Peter says, he, uh, he suffered. Uh, if, you, if you have a beating for doing something wrong, you're corrected and, and, you, and you, you receive it. That's no credit. That's the least you could do. But if you suffer, suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Or you know, if you have a right to throw a fit, I've done that. And I don't just throw a fit for no good reason. You've got to have a good reason to throw a fit, right? Amen? <laughs> yeah. So... So he committed, Jesus, so he suffered, I'm sorry, this is commendable before God, to this you were called, not to suffer, but to know how to deal with a fallen world and the pain that life gives us, all right? You've been called to this because Christ suffered for you, and this is so interesting, this is a passage about Jesus dying on the cross. It doesn't say anything about eternal salvation, going to heaven, getting your sins forgiven. It's about taking up your cross and how to live a cross, a crossed out life before we get to heaven. So, so here it says, um, to this you were called because Jesus suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin no deceit was found in his mouth. He had the right to call 10,000 angels, but when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats instead. And this is the master secret. It's not just let go. What's the other half of it? Let go and let God. So what did Jesus do? He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. All right? And from the message, I love the message, this is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never once did one thing wrong. He had a right to stand up for, his, for himself. But, uh, but um, Everything that came his way. And he never did one thing wrong, not once said anything amiss. They, never, they called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence. And then this is the master key, content to let God set things right. We are so discontent because we want to control stuff. How many of you have tried at least a couple times in your life to fix somebody? How many of you have suffered trying to fix that person? How many of you have made that person suffer as you try to fix them? <laughs> so here's what I, what I like to say. God sees you trying to fix somebody and you're not turning it over to God like Jesus is giving us an example to do. You're, you're, you, know, you're, you know what God does? He folds his arms and he says, you try. It's going to take me decades to get this thing fixed. And he just watches you suffer, okay? 
So you, gotta, you just have to trust God. Uh, when you have a large family, we have a large family. How many pe- we're going to have a family reunion up in uh, Williams. How many people are coming? 42? So the, l- the older you get, the more people you have in your life, which means the less you're able to manage them. You go home from a family gathering, and what do you do? On the way home, you complain about your sister-in-law or somebody, you know? So, so anyway, Jesus gave us this example step, step by step. He never did one thing wrong. Not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book. He said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. It's the old saying, let go and let God. Yet the sacred art of letting go is not the same as giving up. You know, that's what, you know, giving up is about the cross. And it is counterintuitive to human beings just to give in, okay? Realizing that as much as you like to do something about a situation, it's the art of giving in. Realizing that as much as you, you would like to do something about a situation that's driving you crazy or hurting you deeply, you realize you are helpless, It's that moment of helplessness that has the potential to set you free and to change you forever. You can be like Jesus. You can be silent and you will experience the presence of God and you will release the presence of God to to work in the lives of the people that are causing you pain. And this is not something you just do once. We're going to talk about that here. So um, he suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. So when Jesus gave his life on the cross, he let go. Before his crucifixion, he begged the Father to change the course of his life. God said no. Jesus said, okay. This is another way to talk about how hard it is to let go. How many of you are raising children, you've raised children, or you've seen children? How many of you know that children have a really hard time saying okay? I mean, I said this to my kids, just say okay. My, um, my, my son-in-law, was, you know, my daughter, and he, he and his daughter have, he and my, his wife, my daughter, have four children, 19 down to 10. And uh, he said, he realized that was, there was another person with a name who lived in the house. He could never find that person. That person's name was not me. And you, you know, you say to your kids, "Please, you know, please." I, and I see my, my daughter saying, "My daughter saying to her kids, please, just say, okay, mommy." You know, when kids are early, did you hurt your brother? You tell them you're sorry. You know, you can't understand what they're saying. They're speaking in tongues, and it's really not <laughs> spiritual. You know, and and uh, but you know, that, why is it so hard to say just to let it go and to say? Okay. Um, t- turn to the person next to you and, and just say to them, just say okay. Why does that trouble you inside? To, just to, for this fun little exercise, uh, you know, I, I had people talk to me after the last service. Man, that was hard to do. Not, 
not to tell the person next to me, but to have somebody tell me, I don't know what I need to say okay to. I was sharing this message in a smaller church, and there was a guy, must have been a single guy, sitting right over that, like this section, and there was a woman, and, and they weren't together. There was a seat between them, and she leaned over. I guess this woman always has to start this kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> and said, said to him, just say okay, and then... And, uh, and then I just, I, I don't know what went on there, but then I heard him yell, I already said it. <laughs> this really happened in church. The whole church could hear him. Why is it, how many of you know it's so hard? It really is so hard. Okay, so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I, I've done marriage counseling and, you know, we've had, I've, I've try, tried to get couples just to say, just say, to, okay, you know, this is, this is bigger in your life right now, this thing. Your contention is bigger than Jesus in your life. This is Lord of your life, not Jesus. And in the Ephesians, Paul writes, he says, submit to one another. Husbands, love your wives. Christ, uh, well, wives, submit to your husbands. But before he says that, he says, submit to yourselves, one, one another, in the reverence of Christ. This is about coming to Jesus. And that's the one verse I, in all the hundreds of weddings done of. I, I share that. You want a secret? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, um, it's just, uh, did I, do we have it up here? Just say okay. What, do we have that? Just say okay. Why don't we just say it to the universe? Just say okay, all right? Some of you are gonna say okay. You know, this is gonna come up in your car on the way home from church, okay? You know, so... So the Apostle Paul also learned about the sacred art of letting go. There, there's, it's just to me, it's a way of seeing something that's all through the Bible and happens to be probably one of the most important things in the Bible. We talk about faith, right? Say, let, saying, just saying, okay, letting it go is the ultimate expression of faith, that you are trusting God. Faith is the evidence of things we don't see, like your husband changing or your teenager changing. We don't see it. So faith is the evidence of things not seen. We're trusting God. See? All right, so, um, so Philippians, look at Paul, how Paul does this. He's, in Philippians chapter four is a famous verse of scripture. I've learned... I've learned to be content. That, that's another synonym for let it go, right? Yeah. I've learned to be content. Okay. Because as long as you're hanging, holding on something, that will rob you of your joy. You, will not, you can't be content and frustrated at the same time. Okay, I've learned, and this is something that doesn't come naturally, I've learned to be content Whatever the circumstances. And I like this, it has very contemporary application. Whatever. I've learned to be content. Whatever. Okay. What, what, when people say whatever, what does that mean? It means I'm going to do what you say, but I'm not going to like it. You know? And so my brother was a public school teacher, and he, he made a big banner up at the front of his classroom that said, whatever means teacher wins. 
Any public school teachers here? You, you, you get that response? That's every kid's religion, whatever. <laughs> so, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, with people in my life I like and people I don't like. I can, and this is the master key. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's about Jesus letting go and letting Jesus. And I, I want you to, I, this, this encourages any of you, this has been the hardest thing in my life. Because I've been a leader and I've written books and I led a church and I got kids. You know, I, I, I found with my kids and my grandkids, they are not interested in anything I've done, the books I've written, the knowledge I could invest in them to make their lives better. I can't say one thing. And you know how you describe that? I have to let it go. It's in God's hands. Um, look at what, what uh, Matthew writes. Can, Jesus said this, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I mean, this, this is the Bible. So, you know, no. So what do I do? You know, you have to live, you have to bring eternity into your life. And you have to live in that reality. So, you can ch yes, you can change your world. There are some things that you can do that you should do. But what if you can't? It's the serenity prayer. Change what you can and let go of what you can't and, and learn the difference. Philippians, uh, Paul writes this famous verse. Be anxious. Don't be anxious about what? Anything. Anything. I, I, I majored in New Testament Greek when I was in college. And I wanted to know what that if there was a way out of that word, anything. <laughs> and it means exactly what it means in English, anything, okay? So, and, uh, but in every, every situation, by prayer and petition, you're turning things over to God, you're letting go, you're giving it to God with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and you know, when you turn to God, you let it go and let God, this is the promise. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's your emotions, your thoughts. This, I mean, the Bible is full of freedom. You know, I, I, uh, I, I so appreciated the theme in the, in the, uh, the worship today. Hope, there's always hope. I, I had a pastor friend tell me, uh, Charlton, he said, I want to make sure that everyone in my church, when they leave the service, has hope. You want hope? Life is so difficult. And I could use some scandalous words to describe it. You have, you know? Sometimes you say, sometimes this feels like, I feel, this feels like hell. I feel, this is killing me. What it is. Because you're not letting it go. And it's hell because this is how the tempter comes into our life. You know, it's the, 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 when we're victims and when we won't let it go, it's a, it's a landing pad for the devil. So, you know, in Ephesians, uh, Paul says, uh, be angry and don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Get it over with. 
And then he says, and give no opportunity to the devil. That's a powerful thing, you know? So, um, I'll tell you another story. My, my youngest son, our youngest son, Matthew, is, I mean, everybody loves Raymond. Everybody that knows Matthew loves Matthew. I mean, he is, he's an amazing, very, he's very wise, you know. We just love what he's doing with his life. He's a musician, uh, and he, he, plays, he plays trumpet in the Navy band. He's, and so he's a musician. He got a degree in trumpet performance. People would say, what is he going to do with that? And I said, well, he's going to go down to Huntington Beach and open his trumpet case, and he's going to perform. So, uh, but he joined, he, when he was a senior, he found out about military music, and he joined the Navy. And uh, anyway, he dro- we drove each other crazy because I'm, I'm aggressive, and he's passive-aggressive. And as he became a teenager, you know, he's half adult and now, you know, half child. And you still treat him, treat your kids like they're four. And, uh, and, and you, how old are your kids? Six. Six. You know, now you can just say, we're going to Disneyland for vacation, you know. Oh, we're going to Disneyland. When they get to be teenagers, I don't want to go to Disneyland. I've heard about Disneyland. I don't want to go. Can I stay home? You know, it's, it's so there's the, there are these awkward moments when you yourself experience adolescence. And, and so Matt was driving me crazy. And, you know, he got himself into some trouble. He caused us some really profound pain. And, and uh, so I thought I'd talk to my friend Al. And we had lunch. And he leaned across the table, put his hand on my chest. And what do you think he said to me? I'm his father. I can't let it go. You know, let it go. And, and what he said, he said, the more you, with your different personalities, the more you try to fix him, the more he's going to distance, distance himself from you. And I made, I wish I could say I made changes as easily as I did in this situation. He was in high school and I just, I made, it was watershed. I just, I, I decided I'm not going to tell him what to do. And the only time I really pushed him was when he was a senior and he was in love and they wanted to get married and it was just a couple weeks left in school and, and he had not given his fiance a ring. And I said, Matt, she wants a ring before you graduate. I just kind of know stuff. And uh, so, so anyway, what does he do? So you let God, you let go and you let God. So what does Matt do? He, he, I, I got to tell you this. That he, he always said, he would say to me, this was his mantra. Dad, this is no big deal. I'm his dad, okay? If you bring something up, it's a big deal. But he always said that. But I let that go. He, I said, you can live with that. So what does he do? He marries a woman that's more anal than his, his father. <laughs> so what do you think I hear him saying to Kate? Kate, it's no big deal. So he has Kate for the rest of his life. See? (laughs) And you know what else he did? He joined the Navy. How many of you are veterans? Let's cheer for veterans. How many of you veterans could say to your sergeant or your commanding officer, sir, this is really no big deal. 
it's beautiful, you know? It's just beautiful. I don't have to say that to him anymore, right? It's, it's just, because it doesn't matter, your kids become adults and you still want to relate to them the way they don't want you to relate to them. Okay, so now I want to talk about something that you would never expect in this message. I want to talk about keeping the Sabbath. So what is the Sabbath? There, there are 10 commandments, okay? The first three commandments had to do with God. Uh, thou shalt uh, have no other gods before you, and thou shalt not make any graven idols. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And the next commandment is the Sabbath. He honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. And then there are six more commandments about life, starting with your family and your work and your stuff and your neighbors and things like killing and violence and, and, uh, and adultery. So the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments is a bridge from God to everything else in your life. It's not just about taking a nap on Sunday and having a beer. Just, I'm going to rest, man, I've had a hard week. It's about reflecting on how everything in your life is about God. And to the extent that you don't recognize that, to that extent, those things will become the things that control you and upset you and will affect all the other people in your life. See? So... The fact is, the, the Sabbath was originally designed as a weekly discipline to remind God's people that he was in control of all their work, that they had to trust him, and not their own efforts to grow crops, to raise livestock, to make money, even to relate properly to their families. It wasn't just about resting, taking a day off in a busy, stressful week. It was about reminding yourself that everything in your life is in the hands of God even your spiritual life and your salvation, because we stress about that too. Okay, so the Sabbath was to be a weekly discipline of letting go of your own efforts, self-reliance, and instead trusting God. The purpose of the Sabbath can be seen in the sequence, which I just shared with you. The commandment to keep the Sabbath is a bridge from our relationship with God to our relationship with others and material things. So, and look at Exodus, let's look at the establishment of the, of, of the Sabbath. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. And remember that phrase, for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Okay? Exodus verse 31, 14. Observe the Sabbath because it's holy to you and, you know, if you didn't observe the Sabbath, this is what they had to do to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. What? Okay, observe the Sabbath. Uh, verse 15. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest of rest, of letting go. Holy to the Lord, whoever does any work on the Sabbath must be put to death. Now you say, that, you know, I've heard about the Bible and the God of the Bible and he's cranky, you know. But here's my, here's my little paraphrase of those verses, okay? 
If you don't let it go and trust God, it'll just kill you. And I said this earlier, how many of you have said at least once, this is just killing me. Let it go. See? This is, there, there, and, and I think, I see this, the kind of the permanence of the, of the Sabbath, not just setting a day aside, but understanding, there was a title of a book, uh, I never read the book, but I love the title, it was The Sacrament of the Moment, that every moment is a Sabbath. Now, and it, it says here, um, the Sabbath is a lasting covenant. It's not just for the Old Testament. It's forever. Exodus chapter 31 verse 16 says, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. Now, how do we do that? Why is the Sabbath a lasting covenant? Uh, it's, it's not just about one day a week. I'm going to skip over this next scripture. Uh, I want to go to the scripture that, that's the, the uh, slide that says, because Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. Do you know when he died on the cross, the last thing he said was what? It is finished. The work is done. Now we have to, we're seated with him in heavenly places. This sounds really kind of hokey, but the first thing Jesus did when he got to heaven is he sat down. It meant that the work is done. I'm in control. See? So now Jesus, it says in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I love this. The next verse says, strive therefore to enter that rest. You know why you got to strive? Because it's the hardest thing in life to do, to let it go. So, Jesus is our Sabbath. Look at Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I don't throw fits, you know. I don't try to control people. And you, you come to me, and you will find rest for your souls. It's just beautiful. It's, a, it's a, something that's important in our daily life. Now, I, I want to take, leap to one thing from Sabbath, letting go, to the most important virtue of the Christian life, a virtue that is absolutely impossible without God's intervention. It's the virtue of forgiveness. The hardest thing of everything to let go is what somebody has done to you, and there, some of, I will say, I'm going to guess with this large crowd, some of you have someone you knew that, that caused you profound pain and they're dead. They're in the grave. But they live in you right next to Jesus. Let it go. Okay? The Greek word for forgiveness is beautiful. The English word, I don't know what the English word means. People always want to know, what does it mean to forgive? And you'd get different answers from everybody here. But you, don't, wouldn't get, you won't get different answers when I tell you what the Greek word means. What, what do you think the Greek word means based on this message? Let it go. It was, it, was a, it was an archery term. Let it go. 
The more longer you hold the bow and the, and the string, the more pain it's going to cause you. Let it go. And so now this makes sense. Peter comes to Jesus and says, how, uh, how many times, uh, my, my, I've got somebody who's offended me, how many times must I let that go? Seven times? And Jesus said, what? Seventy times seven. You have to let it go 70 times seven. In other words, some things are so profoundly painful that you have to let it go multiple times a day, bring God into it, maybe for months. I was with a really good friend last night who, who uh, their, their son died when he was 23 of cancer. And it was years ago, and he's still crying. You can't, my, my, my son lost his wife to brain cancer two and a half years ago. He, you know, he wants to get remarried. He's, you know, he's in his late 40s. And, but he's got to let, he, you know, somehow we have to move forward. And, and letting go is the ultimate act of faith because you're saying, God, I can't deal with this. So this, this is, to me is amazing. So Peter says, uh, you know, how, how many times? Jesus says 470, an, a limit, limitless number of times. And the disciples said, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know, I'm going to kind of put you in this spot. A lot of people don't know what the disciples said next. Charlton, you, can you think about what they said next? <laughs> no. You know what they, so Jesus said 490 times. You know, and it says, the disciples said, increase our faith. Because this is a God thing. Yes. Well, let it go. I want you to stand up now. I'm done. <laughs> And I want, you to, I want you to just let's pause for a moment. And I know that people, stuff is going, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people walked out of here after the last service and said, that was just for me. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so let, let's, just, let's just open our hearts to the Lord in a, in a prayer right now. Can you lift your hands to the Lord? You know, that's, lifting your hands is an act of surrender. Put them up, you know. And say this after me. Heavenly Father, there's so many things in my life I just can't let go. And then new things come up. And it ruins my day. Ruins my week. Sometimes it ruins years. And Lord, I got to give it to you. I want to live in your presence. In Jesus' name, I let it go. I'm thinking about that person right now, that situation, that memory. And Lord, say it with me, and Lord, I let it go. In Jesus' name, amen.